You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about an event in Colorado and Denver. And Chuck was actually a participant with some of our allies. Chuck, why don't you tell us about the academic boycott of Israeli institutions? I think this is a, a real significant event. The Colorado for Justice in Palestine held a week-long, the biggest event they've ever done, they held a week-long effort at the uh, American Anthropological Association National Conference at the huge convention hall here in Denver, Colorado. There were, I don't know how many, maybe several thousand at least, I'm going to guess three or four thousand persons at this big conference. And apparently this association had asked this little Colorado group to help them try to pass a academic boycott. It's called the Resolution to Boycott Israel's Academic Institutions. And uh, this is an effort that they borrowed from someone else, from another group called BDS, and they reworked it into their own language. And uh, essentially, this big association of people uh, did eventually voted overwhelmingly by a, a nine-to-one margin to boycott Israel's academic institutions. That means to have nothing to do with Israel's academic institutions. And then they printed a resolution explaining exactly why. And it's a very powerful resolution that has all the things in it that we're used to talking and hearing about. What Israel has done to the Palestinian people over the years, how they exclude them from academic practices, how they have destroyed some of their universities, it goes on and on. as It's a three-page resolution, and it was a custom-designed resolution by this association stating all their complaints against Israel and their treatment of the Palestinian people. And we would find it very accurate. Uh, there are some things that they did not go into that we talk about, such as the extension of the brutality uh, during the wars and so on. Uh, they cover that briefly, but it is generally speaking, a very powerful resolution, and it basically says, as long as you act this way, we are not going to associate with you academically, though, of course, we can't restrict members from doing so if they want to go to Israel and go to your conferences. This was opposed by rather powerful groups within that organization, and we were invited to come and help out as lobbyists. Because we understood the issue and they wanted people to come there, bring Palestinians with us if we could, and we did, and then talk to the delegates, buttonhole them, you might say, give away literature, but basically talk to them and answer questions they might have, and then steer them toward voting. And it was hugely successful because they had a record vote, more than twice their normal business uh, meeting vote, and of that vote, nine to one voted for this resolution. There was an opposing resolution that had been cleverly inserted to kind of sabotage this one, 
Uh, it's one of those, this is almost right, but not quite resolutions. That was voted down by virtually 100% margin. In fact, I don't believe they even managed to get a vote on it. It was voice voted down. So I talked to a number of the elderly guys who were there. Uh, I talked to one, Joseph Silverstein, a prominent college professor from somewhere that uh, who was there. I discussed these things with a number of those people, and I had a chance to talk to lots of people on the floor. And my one overwhelming conclusion from participating in my three-hour stint, by the way, that was what I had. My, I had a stint of three hours on Friday, was that the young people were 100% for this academic boycott. The older people dreamed up all kinds of reasons why they didn't think they should do it. But the youth, the under 40, and I call that young, all of those that I talked to virtually without exception said that this was absolute necessity to do this. This is a big deal because there's only been one or two large institutions who have, have taken this kind of a step in the United States. So it's looked upon as a great victory for the, uh, for the people that worked on the project. And there's also a BDS movement, which is Boycott, Divestor, and Sanctions, uh, that has had a hand in this at one time, but this was a very much a separate effort that was uh, custom designed for this organization. One of the things that I talked to people and tenants about there was uh, I would say to them, I'm not an anthropologist, I hardly can spell it, but I do know that you are the people who study tribes. And I presume that you have studied the Philistine tribe. And do you feel that the Philistine tribe has any anthropological background and right to exist by virtue of having been uh, native there? And quite a few of them said, yes, they knew about that. Some of them said that they were going to send me literature and information on it. So I kind of discuss it in terms of the Philistine tribe versus the Israelite tribe. How did they feel about that? And it got, it got a lot of interesting conversation. I kind of like the anthropologists. Uh, they're sort of our kind of historians in a way because they do study archaeology and other things. And though they're, you know, broad spectrum of uh, capability and, and wisdom and uh, so on within any group. It looked like a great victory for the people that have uh, been trying to bring about academic recognition of Israel's brutality, let us say, in, in Palestine. Any questions or anything, by the way? Yeah, uh, uh, Chuck, I was reading your article, and what was surprising to me, you said nine to one, but it, the sheer number of the nine to one was, was it like 1,500 something to 100, somewhere yeah. in that range? Yeah, there were six, almost six, 1,600 people voted. They normally only get seven or 800 in a meeting. They couldn't even get them in a meeting hall, and it was a giant room. They just miscalculated the size of the room they needed. It was actually a ballroom. And, and that, that, you know, 1,500 or 1,600 voting against this Israel institutions, that is astonishing to me, the size of that amount. That's a social miracle. It is. It is. However, uh, this resolution points out, and, and maybe we should publish the resolution, though it's very long, just as a academic background reading, because we might snag people from other institutions that want to see what these people really did yeah. resolve. Yeah, uh, so exactly. maybe we should uh, get a copy of that and publish it. I have a hard copy. I think that would uh, be good. But the, I like that. The, the resolution points out that Israel's government brutally suppresses the intellectual institutions. 
They limit what they can say. They make life miserable for who oppose them. And the, and the people that do stand up and say things there are put under a tremendous pressure, as they are in our own institutions here, largely as a result of Zionist pressure put on Harvard University, let's say, and Chicago University and others, where you have people who, like uh, some we know, who have spoken out. Dr. Nazem Quinsaya, one example, uh, who lost his job at Yale because of speaking out. And uh, there are people in Israel, such as Dr. Salomo Sands, who teaches at Tel Aviv University. He's not an anthropologist, but he's a some brand of historian. And uh, he wrote a very challenging book called The Invention of the Jewish People, in which he essentially does uh, an archaeological and anthropological study and contends that the present-day Israelites have no right to claim any connection to any tribe at all. People like this have, have done studies like this, and they are deeply suppressed. So these people at this convention understood that very well. They were very bright people. It was really fun. I'm glad I got to go. Wow. Chuck, I'd, I'd like to mention, too, that I picked up a Shlomo Sand book from the library. It's entitled, How I Stopped Being a Jew. And it's, it's very interesting because, especially from a Christian perspective uh, and a biblical-based uh, perspective, because all through the Old Testament, the Jewish lineage, the ethnicity, was passed along through the Father. And now, with the state of Israel, the ethnicity is passed along through the Mother. And, and Shlomo makes this comment, rarely documents are stamped as nationality Jew. And if his father was a Jew and the mother was an Austrian, which had just been which just the opposite, he would have been considered an Austrian and, and and not a Jew. And he says, I can't undo my nationality as Jew. The only way I could do that is become another religion. And he says, I can't do that because I'm an atheist. And it it was really interesting how he uh, comes to this problem he's he's facing. Like, how do I renounce my Jewishness because I'm not a Jew by religion? And I, I just don't go along with that. Anyway, uh, his, his and he doesn't believe that necessity of the, of the race. No, no, he doesn't at all. And yeah. and here at Christians that we see, oh, they, they what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, equivocation. That's the word I'm looking for. Equivocation. You look at an equivocation, and, and yet you've got apples and oranges. You've got ethnicity through the father in the Old Testament. You've got ethnicity through the mother in the current state of Israel. There's a disconnect here. And, and how Christians pull this together and say, well, it's, they're all they're all Jews. It's all part of the same. They're, they can trace their lineage back to Abraham, which of course they can't. But that's that's the elephant in the in the room that no one wants to discuss. Yeah, isn't it like ten percent of the Jewish nation is really Jewish believe, where the other ninety percent, the Jewish believers, true Jews are a minority, and they're kind of a disgraced minority as well, 10% out of 100. Yes, yes, that's right, Glenn, and yet they're kind of raised like cattle. They're fed along and allowed to exist because Israel look, points to them as uh, evidence of the ancient ethnicity that they have, dragging them all the way back to Abraham, which, of course, is untrue because there was no Jew in the time of Abraham. Right. So they use the Orthodox Jewish tiny minority Kind of they they keep them kind of like uh, fed cattle or, or fancy horses 
to parade around, but they really don't believe in them, and they don't want to let them have any authority. Wow, great. That was a fantastic report, Chuck, and thanks for your action there, too. And so that's what it all is about, ladies and gentlemen, is standing up and uh, educating people. We do need to educate people in any tasteful way that we can. And if you've taken inspiration what we said today, please let us know, and we'll be glad to help you on your own journey to challenging these corrupted ideas that we see that Christian Zionism promotes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.